as we mature, we go from reacting to acting. And the difference is, is the thoughtfulness. It's exactly what you said a minute ago, Tom, when you said you've got that gatekeeper and saying, okay, no, no, we're not going to say that. That's the acting. That's the sorting through possibilities and saying it's a conscious choice. And in many ways, emotional sobriety is about getting more conscious like that, isn't it? Bill Wilson, co-founder of Alcoholics Anonymous, wrote in 1952, if we examine every disturbance we have, great or small, we will find at the root some unhealthy dependence and its consequent demand. Wilson suggested that if we could identify and continually surrender these unrealistic and unrealizable demands, that we may then be able to accomplish what he imagined to be the recovery's next frontier, something he called emotional sobriety. Flash forward 70 years and join psychotherapists and best-selling authors Tom Rutledge and Dr. Alan Berger, who have taken up the mantle of exploring Bill Wilson's new frontier. Welcome to Emotional Sobriety. I'm Tom Rutledge. I'm with Dr. Alan Berger and our wonderful uh, uh, taskmaster and, uh, and producer, uh, uh, Patrick Newman. So how are you guys, how are, how are you guys doing? Well, you know, just before we started today, Patrick said, maybe it's a good idea to just check in with each other. And I thought, wow, what a wonderful idea. It keeps us personal because in many ways, emotional sobriety is about getting more personal. Yeah. And and that doesn't mean taking things personally, as we're going to find <laughs> out as we go through this thing. But I think it's a great idea to talk about that for a few minutes and to check in with each other because, look, we're we're all in recovery. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about this podcast, right? We're all sh- on this journey together and at different stages of the journey, but still together because, you know, what we got today is is what's happening today in our lives, right? Right. Like the, like the, like the old guy in AA used to say, I used to go to, used to say, uh, uh, the, the, whoever, whoever got up first this morning has the most sober time. <laughs> I love that. I love that. I love that. I love that. <laughs> You know, at some point in time, there was even a movement about not counting days because, mm-hmm. you know, in, in Connecticut, when AA was just first conceived, right? And we're talking in the first couple of years, everybody, when once people hit a year, they started to relapse. And it's like they thought, well, I got this thing figured out now. And they're still figuring it out, right? It's it's an ongoing ongoing experience right and absolutely yeah well you know the other thing about check our our checking in what i thought when patrick said that let's check in thought well all we're really doing is just starting the recording early because because that's what that's what the three of us do anyway if you think about it when we connect in it's it's like this is our time together and and it's it's all to me it's always it's it's, you know uh, it's a combo of just getting together with friends but but also it's always has has a there's always support here if i need it and uh and each one of us at different times has needed it. Well, let's start with what happened today. You know, I, I was looking forward to our show and I was all set at five o'clock to go ahead and start recording. And then at four o'clock, I'm ordering some what looks like it's going to be some wonderful Italian food from Dinopolis. They were voted best meatball in New Jersey. Now, that's got to be... I'm, I'm going to test it now later on. I thought I'd have that meatball in me by now, but yeah. later on, I'm going to test this. Yeah, we're, 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 yeah, we're working with, with expect, expectations. expectations. Be careful, man. 
about but my stomach is glad for that because it's uh-huh. already celebrated i haven't even eaten it yet and i'm already <laughs> tasting that meatball because i got an expectation what it's going to taste like so i'm all ready to do this and then i look down at my phone and patrick and you guys are checking in with each other i'll be right there where I go, i'm going what are they talking about? Why are they getting in the room so early? And then I realized, no, Alan, it's that three-hour time difference, not four hours. So I quickly scramble, right? I try to call the restaurant and say, hey, man, can I push that order back until, you know, 5.15? I'll go pick it up, you know, after we're done. And I couldn't get through to the place. And so then I thought, well, I'll just go ahead and tell these guys I've been abducted by aliens mm-hmm. and that yep. the aliens have told me that they're going to let me go at, <laughs> at 4.30. Which, 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 we, which we bought. So which, it's like. Yeah, <laughs> and so, uh, but, you know, it's so funny. It's the last thing I thought, the, the first thing I thought about was lying. I swear mm-hmm. to God. I know. I like, know. I, you know, I'll tell them, Jess is de- deathly sick and I have to run out and get some medicine so she can survive the evening. And then I go, wait a minute. Just tell them the truth. No, the lie. That's a real, I mean, this is a whole other, this is part of the whole thing. The lying guys, you know, no, we don't get, we get rid of no one. So it's like the lying guy is on my committee always. And he, he, he's the fast, he's the quickest thinker. <laughs> I have on my entire committee and, and, and they're, and they're good lies. It's like, it's, it's, it's like, you know, I, if, if nothing else, when I was, when I, all those years I spent just screwing things up, I learned a lie very well. And it's like, like and that, that guy, his talents go, unfortunately for him, un, 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 unused. It's so true. It's just so true. It's so crazy that that's the first thought. Or, or is what I just said true? I don't know. I can't tell you that. Oh, it's so true for me. I mean, I, I got to catch myself all the time. And then, of course, I let you guys know. And you say, all right, yeah, fine. No, I mean, you guys have that, you know, especially with my move and stuff, you've shown an incredible amount of flexibility, which in, in a way is a segue into this, but we'll check in with you guys. But I just want to say, I appreciate your flexibility today. No, absolutely. And one of the things I told you was, was that I've been, and I'll do this as my little check-in too. It's like, like I've been in one of those places where I've been, been uh, just feeling overwhelmed, but doing nothing about it. And uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, so the idea is, you know, I could always just, you know, the things I feel like I'm behind on, I could actually just go, it's not like I'm, I'm you know, the weekends are pretty good for me and it's like, but it's just me uh, procrastinating. So when, when I was already up here ready to go and you gave and, and you weren't there, I sat there and got caught up on several things. So you, you actually inadvertently helped me kind of, kind of get some anxiety uh, taken care of for me. So, so I appreciate that. But uh, that's good news. Let's see. That's been, you know, I've done that a lot of times too, when things don't turn out the way that Mm -hmm. I was planning them to, Mm -hmm. I try to find something I can do to fill that space. That's going to be of value to me. And that's one way I can do that without, getting hung up on that. It didn't go the way I wanted it to go. Mm-hmm. Patrick, how you doing? I'm good. Um, I spent the morning talking to an old friend who's got road rage issues and uh, has been uh, getting into violent altercations on the road with parents in the car and stuff. And uh, oh. I was relating to him that with my issues with substance abuse, the problems are sitting right there on top. And there's well-worn guidelines that I can... Uh, follow if I choose to, that'll take me to a place of relative security, stability, or that's the idea anyway. But um, I think that when it comes to some of these other isms, it's not always a uh, as clear a uh, map as to how to what the problem is and uh, 
how to extricate yourself from that. And so I just did a lot of listening and then also reflecting on my relative place and on the recovery and mental health mm-hmm. spectrum. And uh, yeah, just uh, trying to be there for a friend and uh, not having any easy answers. But um, I told them I'm going to check in with them again next week and we're going to make it a weekly thing. So uh, we'll see if maybe I can uh, be some good support there. I'm sure you can. My wife used to call me God of the highway because uh, I was I was I was uh, pretty, pretty out of control. If somebody upset me in traffic and she would say stuff like, you know, if, if they knew who you were, I bet you they would pull you over and ask your advice. But they just don't know who you are, you know, <laughs> and so it's it's. Um, but it's it is but it is yeah, one thing i would say is you gotta you gotta it you still can use these there's still abstinence involved and there's you know they're still putting down the drink it's just a different form like you're talking about how do you get how do you get these steps to to fit for something like that when you when it does need to begin with a behavioral change but of course as we're talking about here with emotional sobriety it's 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 what's underneath that needs resolved yeah well, it's, it's so fitting that you share that, Patrick, because that's so relevant to our discussion. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I was going to say, encourage your friend to listen to our podcast and to come and join us on Thursday mm-hmm. nights, right, at the mm-hmm. Emotional Sobriety Meeting. Mm-hmm. Because, you know, to me, I, I've worked with a lot of, you know, men and women with road rage. And it's always this expectation, first of all, that people are supposed to drive the way that you think they're supposed to drive. And secondly, if they don't, you take it very personally. How dare they do that to me, right? And so it's like those two things are at the heart of this whole thing of emotional sobriety. Yep. How dare. I love that. How dare. Because that's, that's exactly it. I know it from personal experience. How, how dare that person not drive right? You know, it's, it's like, yeah. And, and beneath like, the rage, beneath the rage there's pain, right? I mean, there's yeah. something that's, that's not the anger that's uh, driving the anger. Well, well for, yeah, for me, a lot, of, I mean, it was, there's, you keep yeah. going down and down, but control is the thing. It was, it was, I was, I was such a control freak. I mean, it's just, okay. it's just, there's just one more thing that I just, you know, just felt like I needed to be, I mean, I didn't think it that way, but, but I mean, I look back at it, I needed to control it. It's like, I didn't like things happening that I didn't, that weren't supposed to happen. You know, like no, it's right on, man. It is that control thing is that everybody should be doing what I think they should be doing. If they don't. Yep. <laughs> right. I mean, I probably told you guys this, but, but, but one of the, one of the, you know, my, you know, my, I would be dead if I weren't married to Dee. Dee. let's face it. I mean, she's, she's been able to confront everything that I needed to have confronted and, 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 and help me in so many ways, just by saying the truth to me is, which is a lot of what we're talking about. And a lot of what I know, even in chapter two with emotional sobriety, we're talking about just, you know, in, it, basically, I, I, don't, I don't know if these are the words you use in there, but for me, my, mindset is uh, intimacy versus strategy you know letting go of strategy and intimacy just telling the truth into me see and uh you know and i i remember coming home from uh work one day and, and finding a, a a book that apparently Didi was reading had a lot of underlining in it called living with control freaks anybody want to guess what i felt it's like yeah i was pissed off it's like i mean you know and then, so, so like a good control freak, I read it because I needed to know what the, you know, what the enemy camp was dealing with. And guess what? Guess what? It started to help me. 
because <laughs> yeah, it's like I, it's like it's, it's like I it's, I accidentally read a self help book. That's right, you know? and I good love luck that. to your friend. I I do yeah, to, do tell your friend to join us. And- I think he might. That would be great, you know. And that kind of segues into in the beginning of the chapter. You know, I, one of the things I say about defining emotional sobriety is that it's a mental state in which we do not react to our changing emotions as though they were the governing facts of our life. I mean, so yeah. let's spend some time chewing on that today. And Patrick, at the beginning of this, she said, let's kind of break up this chapter into three segments. So, you know, we talked about maybe starting with Ernie Larson, but I think it's better to start with this, given the conversation right mm-hmm. now, is that there was, um, I'm a big fan of Dr. Nathaniel Brandon. I mean, he's a self-esteem expert. And, and, you know, we lost him a number of years ago, prolific writer and penetrating insights into emotional sobriety. And one of our dear friends and colleagues on Thursday night, Roger Andes, actually moved out to Los Angeles to go into therapy with Dr. Brandon and uh, was in his groups and did some individual work with him for a number of years. And one of the things he said is that we've got to guard against, and I like this, it's, it's like, having that little guard sitting in our mind saying, hey, this is appropriate, this may not be, right? He says, we've got to guard against treating our emotions as they as though they are an infallible guide to the truth. Yes, beautiful. Now, that's not to say that we don't need to respect our emotions. I mean, so this is a fine dance that we're, that we're engaging in here with emotional sobriety because you and I, we do a lot of work with people respecting what they're feeling. Literally there, any emotion is true. If I, if I, you know, it's like, but what you're talking about, I believe is, is making the mistake of the cognitive piece that I have attached or is attached to this emotion. I'm buying that too. It's just coming as a package. It's like, I'm pissed off because this guy in traffic is treating this this way, or I don't like the fact that, that you can't tell time since you moved to Philadelphia, you know, or something like that. It's like, it's like, it's like, it's like, am I, if I say I'm angry, then I'm okay. I'm, then I'm angry. It's, it's like, right. I'm sad. I'm sad. I'm not going to argue with that, but it's like, what, what are you, where are you going next with that? And that's yeah. where that, what, for me, I always call it the gatekeeper, very busy guy. I'm on my committee, the gatekeeper, the one that, that says, Nope, no, we're not going to, no, no, we're definitely not going to say that. And no, we would never say that. And then we find one we let, we let through, you know, it's like, because it's, it's like, it's okay. I always want people to know, you know, thank goodness ethics apply to behavior, not to thoughts and feelings, you know, it's one, it's a saving grace for me because I spent so many years feeling guilty for all the things I thought and felt. And it's, and it's like, and, but uh, what you're talking about with what, what Brandon's saying is, is, is so, so important to be able to have that judgment. And that's what it is. It's good judgment. That's right. Cause, cause what we could change that is to say it in, and I like how you were articulating that Tom is that, is that, we can respect our emotions, but not give them privilege. And the way I would say the differences, and like you were talking about, is if I understand what I'm feeling is what I'm feeling. That's reality. That That's my subjective reality. It's a starting place. It's a starting place. But I where I make the mistake is thinking my reaction is based on reality. See, instead of it being a subjective reality. Subjective, yeah. Right. It's see, that's the difference is that when I say it's an infallible guide to Brandon says the truth, we could say, 
not treating our emotions as though they're an infallible guide to to reality. And where it comes from is the conclusion I'm drawing. And that's where you say that's the cognitive piece. Mm -hmm. What conclusion did I draw draw about that guy driving the way he's driving? Mm -hmm. What you know, and we've talked so much about how in emotional sobriety, one of the gatekeepers is keeping an eye on, are you taking this personally? Mm -hmm. Right. That's the gatekeeper mm -hmm. is keeping a very close eye because as soon as I take it personally, then what follows is how dare you? <laughs> how dare you do that? Don't you know who I am? Right. It's, uh, it's just it's you know, that's you know, when we talk about feeling language, it's like uh, how dare you is a feeling term. It is it is an emotion. It's like when you say that I can I can just call up all those memories in my whole body and feel that it's just, it's, it's, I'm puffed up. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very angry and I am so entitled, yes. you know, so entitled. Yeah. And the, and of course the bizarre thing is all of this happening inside of a man who's just struggling constantly with self-esteem. <laughs> That's right. That's right. That's right. That's right. It totally is to struggle with self-esteem because well, why am I making it all about me all the time? Right. Yeah. We have to we have to say, well, what is that about? And there's two sides of that, as we talked about last time. This uh, I, I love the discussion we had last Thursday in the emotional sobriety meeting about how how self-hate involves two things, mm -hmm. self-minimizing, but also self <laughs> aggrandizing is absolutely you know what I mean? we yep. fall out of both sides of that bed mm -hmm. and it's the weirdest thing because you think with self-hate you wouldn't fall out of that entitlement side mm -hmm. but it's the same thing if if i can claim special status and you give it to me then of course i'm okay this proves it <laughs> i mean right because of course right. i need that and external validation to prove that i'm okay i mean because mm -hmm. You know, left to my devices, I know, right, that I'm the biggest piece of crap in the room. One of the mistakes that we make, you know, that I think we find ourselves correcting in ourselves and working with other people, other we work is, is how easily our Western humanoid selves immediately take things into these binary, oversimplified choices. And so the reason we have to get this validation is because because the, these 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 negative feelings, these negative beliefs that we have, they have un, unconsciously and later consciously uh, in there are are constantly looking for validation. So there's, you know, you and I've talked a lot about the, 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 I told you so guy on the committee, those energies are working against us. At, so it makes sense that when we do not have enough of the insight about the bigger picture, that we are, we are desperately trying to prove ourselves. Okay. In any way we can, could I even just being right about this could mean the world to me. You know, we don't think about it that way, but that's how that's how big the energy is. You know, I need you to understand this. I need you to tell me that I'm right. Mm -hmm. You know, and um, it's and I need you to do things my way so that I feel that I feel so that so that yeah, so that my head doesn't take me the other direction. That's right. See, and and see that these things, these are subtle unconscious manipulations. I mean, we're not sitting there consciously figuring this out and doing it at the time it's such an automatic reaction right. to a strategy we have to try to get a hold of some kind of self-esteem well it, what you just said it's so important about the strategy thing it's like because um 
I mean, we're humans, and one of the things we're doing as humans, and even you know, just as animals, we're 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 in a process constantly of 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 having needs and getting those needs met. That's what we do. You know, that's that's life. That's how we that's how we do that. And the idea is, if we are not any good at, and I'll I'm speak as if for an earlier version of myself, and I'll say any good. If I'm not any good at identifying the needs I have, therefore not at all good at being able to be resourceful about getting needs met. And you talk about this comes up in chapter two of your book too about self support. Um, if if I if you know if if I can't do that. I'm, it's not that I'm going to sit around and not have needs and not try to get needs met. It just means I'm going to be doing it indirectly, which means by, by way of manipulation. That's right. You know, I'm, it's not like I'm, when we say manipulation, I think it has a connotation. People think that we have some sort of secret agenda all the time. And that we're, we're, we're some kind of supervillain, you know, figure, it's like some, maybe sometimes, but, but no, mostly just, mostly we're just unconsciously trying to get these needs met and only with hindsight are we going to be able to figure out what we're doing wrong. Yes, that's right on. That's right on. You know, I was thinking about that, and we'll get into this next week when we talk about self-support, and then maybe we'll save, save stage one and stage two recovery for the for the last segment of this chapter. But, you know, one of the things what you said is to be able to identify what I need becomes a very important step in being able to take care of myself. Yeah. You, I mean, it's, it's essential. It's like talk about, you say 12 essential insights. This is an essential piece. I have to be able to identify it or there, I mean, you can't, you know, you can't solve a problem you can't define. That's right. And now if we grow up in a situation where it's not okay to need anything, it's not okay to express your needs. Right then what starts to happen has been my experience personally and also with a lot of the people I've worked with is, is we have difficulty identifying our needs and giving voice to it. And so it creates quite a dilemma then because what I remember doing with that is if I'm unable to identify it, I try to figure out, well, what might somebody be feeling in a situation like this? Mm -hmm. And now I try I, to- I, I, Really hypothetically, you just gotta go well, like, I, you know, yeah. I operate from a stereotype. Well, I should be feeling this. So I'll go ahead and role play. I'll act as if this is how I feel, mm -hmm. right? And, and which is so funny because it's not, I'm not able to really support it because it's not my authentic need. Mm -hmm. It's what I'm, I think I should be feeling at this mm -hmm. time, what I think I should be doing, how I think I should be acting. I mean, I remember this very closely when I started to have a girlfriend and we got close. I had this idea that I was not ever supposed to feel any anxiety in that closeness. <laughs> like afraid of losing myself and stuff yeah. like that. Mm -hmm. And I would find myself pulling away instead of moving towards um, this, this Char, I, her name was Charlene. Alice, mm -hmm. I can mm -hmm. even remember her name. Mm -hmm. I remember the, the situation where it happened. Mm -hmm. And I knew I was supposed to be reacting a certain way. So I started to play act this certain way, but I wasn't feeling any of it. I was feeling anxious. Oh my God, I'm getting close to her. You know, what if she doesn't like me? I had all of this anxiety going on and I could feel every part of me wanting to pull away. 
And yet I knew I should be this hot lover mm-hmm. and I should be acting like this cool guy, right? That I think Charlene thinks I am. Well, you know, good for her. She broke up with me about two weeks after that scene went down because it was terrible. It yeah. was like, you know, the 40 year old virgin dating or something. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, and credit where credit is due, Alan, you gave it your best guess. I did. I mean, and and the truth is, we go back to those adolescent times, and it's like, I mean, bless us all, because that's all we all are. Everybody in in those situations is nothing but a bundle of nerves and anxiety, and of course, the the fact that that it's, I mean, in in adolescence, you know, it's it's like. It, it, I mean, it, later in adult life, a lot of people live this way. But in adolescence, it's like, yeah, the, yeah, like we're gonna, like we're gonna say, well, what you need to do is just be honest and be, be, you know, clear about how you're feeling and stuff like that. And go like, yeah, okay, well, let's go, let's go talk to a bunch of adolescents and explain that to them. That's right. Yeah, that's not, <laughs> that's not gonna fly anywhere. That's right. They're, they're not gonna buy that. We're gonna look like the old men that but, we are. But you know what's interesting is that I was, I'm very grateful that. I got help at a very early age, which started to help me be able to identify what was really going on and talk about what I was really experiencing and then discovered the value of authenticity in a relationship. Yes. And it was unbelievable. And look, as we're talking about that, what an important step it is in terms of emotional sobriety, right? To to be able, and we'll be getting more into this Mm -hmm. to support ourselves because you know, we'll talk next time about this cycle of experience, but uh, we'll just, that'll just be a teaser mm-hmm. now. But I love, but I love where this discussion is going today. Patrick, what do you think about it so far? Well, I was just thinking of um, you do this great anecdote at the beginning of chapter two, uh, where uh, it's Sam and Jennifer as a mother and daughter, and uh, you know, um, the daughter relating uh, the pain of this. Uh, she's got a husband who's got addiction issues, or I think a husband or a boyfriend, yeah. and. Um, and anyway, uh, to your point or what you were just talking about, um, the daughter has an expectation that the mom is supposed to, you know, uh, ride or die no matter what happens. I've got your back. And whereas I think she she has this expectation, but she, she's not asking for the support. You know, she's not, you know, uh, uh, articulating you know, her needs and her point of view, which is, you know, that her responsibility, it's all of our responsibilities to articulate that. Um, and the ball is then in the other person's court, you know, and, and I think there's that part, that piece. And then the, the piece of identifying what expectations the mother might be having and kind of putting yourself in her shoes and trying to kind of like, if you're in a conflict with somebody, try and dimensionalize it and, and uh, understand, even if you don't agree what the other, where the other person's, you know, maybe their lack of emotional sobriety might well, be you, coming you in. You said something very important mm-hmm. here. You're bringing up an important thing. When I take my need and create a should demand from it, mm-hmm. and I put that should demand on someone else, one function of that is so that I'm not so vulnerable. So if it becomes a should and you reject it, you're not rejecting me. You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. You see, it's a real tricky deal. Oh, that's good. I know. I never thought about that exactly that way. It's very tricky. I I like that. Very, very tricky deal. Because, see, then 
I'm putting this should out there. I'm not putting myself out there. Yeah. You should do this. You should take care of me, mom. You know, look, I've got COVID. I might need your help. Da, 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 da. And a good mother should do that. <laughs> Instead of the daughter saying, I'm in a real jam. And I really need your help personally, mom. It would mean a lot to me personally. See, that vulnerability now, it's like now I'm all in, right? Instead of it just being a demand that I'm putting in. And that, you know, the way you said it just really got me to think about it that way, Patrick. That's great. Because you're right. We're not being vulnerable at that time when we play that game. You always well, talk about and, adding more self, right? Adding more right, self right, is the, exactly. one of the main exactly. things, right? You can't subtract. You got to add. It's like, that's the thing. It's like, we're not going to get rid of any of these guys, but we can add better and bigger, better and, and wiser parts of us. But the other thing that just occurs to me when you, we're talking about it this way is it's something that I, uh, I remember thinking about when I was doing my, my what love is book is, is, is how much we, with those, those should, let's, let's even say should demand, but also should assumptions is, is that, that basically that, and then this is a classic one that we've all heard a lot of, and it's, and it's, and it's dangerous. And it is, if you loved me, then I wouldn't have to ask you this. If you loved me, you would know this. It's like, it's like, no, you know, I do love you, but I'm not that smart. You know, it's like, I'm not, you know, it's like, and, and it, you know, the idea is, or, you know, I've had people in my office say, well, you know, I'll say, well, tell, tell him, tell her, uh, you know, what would be, what would feel loving and, and, and vice versa, but back and forth, they would go like, well, but if I, but if, if they do it after I tell them, then, then that doesn't mean as much. And of course, what I'm going is no, here's how you, if you're in therapy with somebody and you want to know if they love you, you'll, you'll notice that they're following up on the things we're talking about. Yeah. You know, it's because you're communicating for the first time rather than just saying, you know, the, the should assumption, which is if you love me, you would know to do this. And if you love me in Alan, you were saying, if you love me, basically I wouldn't have to risk saying it. Yeah, that's right. And it's see, the risk now, with the way you just said, what you just said got me to think of another part the way to answer that because i haven't answered that very well to people but you know what i just thought of i just thought of isn't it an interesting conclusion that if they do that it's because they feel they should do it rather than because they're responding to your need because they love you mm. isn't that an interesting mm -hmm. thing that the mm -hmm. thought goes to neutralizing it or even denigrating it degrading it and saying well if you give it to me after i ask for it it's not as good yeah as right. though somehow if they read our mind and gave it to us that would be more valuable right but you know the other piece about this it goes back to, it goes back to you and uh, is it charlotte what was the gir girlfriend's charlene. name charlene sorry apologize <laughs> charlene it's like, sorry it's, it's like, charlene <laughs> sorry all of this stuff we're talking about all three of us just this it's like it's like it, what it brings me to is like just sort of this scratch my head wow moment when I look like oh that's what so many of us are doing you know as we move into our adult life is we're all just guessing and role-playing we're, we're trying to figure I, I think this is the right thing to do or, or this is the right thing to feel or to act or to say and it's like and of course everything about what 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 your book is about everything about the emotional but, but what this particular book is about is about coming home to yourself 
Yeah. And, and being able to say, if I, you know, rather than sit around and try to put it together and guess, have my life be guessing, I'm going to learn how to trust myself by going inside and living, you know, what we like to say a lot from the inside out. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not trying to figure it out out there. I'm not trying to figure it out so that other people will approve of me. I'm not so that I will get an A plus on, on this relationship today. I need to be real for myself. Yeah. No, right on Tom. That's right on. You know, it's funny. You said that we're get we're, we're coming home in many ways and yeah. it's weird. The last few days and, and also it's cause of this moving stuff, but mm-hmm. it also resonates with what you just said. That song by grand funk railroad. I'm getting closer to my home. Yes. Love that song. I've just been, it's been playing over and over and over again in my consciousness. And, and I love, it's one of my favorite songs of that band. I mean, um, but yeah. You know, you know, by the way, I have a playlist that's called the, 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 the uh, Burger Rutledge playlist on my phone that w- anticipating when we finally get back together in person and, and can do workshops and have our own play, play playlist. And that's all uh, that's interesting. That song, that song is on there. Look Absolutely. at that. Oh my God. <laughs> Isn't that cool when that comes together? I, I love it. What I try to do in a book is I really wanted people to have examples. I just didn't want it to mm-hmm. be a theoretical book. I wanted it to be very practical where people see that. And, and you know, I think in the Sam and, and Jennifer issue, right, with Sam turning to her mom and mom, you know, then, you know, not being there for feeling bad and then mm-hmm. going to make Jennifer f- wrong because she asked her. I mean, all this other nonsense that went on between them. What I loved about it is that they both had expectations that they needed to look yes. at. And, and I think that that's such an important thing, right? Because if something's going south, it's never just one person's fault, right? Mm-hmm. I've got a hand in it. The other person has a hand in it, you know, and if we're both off-centered and not grounded in the way that we're going to be talking about in terms of keeping our emotional center of gravity, and we'll get into that, we'll get into that today, but if I'm not grounded then I'm going to get lost in my reactivity to the whole situation as well. And, you know, it's, it's interesting. Murray Bowen was the father of this, of, of differentiation and putting it and applying it to psychology. And one of the things that he says over and over again, he says, as we mature, we go from reacting to acting. And the difference is, is the thoughtfulness. It's exactly what you said a minute ago, Tom, when you said you've got that gatekeeper and saying, okay, no, no, we're not going to say that. Mm-hmm. No, we'll push that. There it is. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. The, mm-hmm. that's the acting. That's the sorting through possibilities and saying, this is one is, is what I think is my best choice here. It's a conscious choice. It's a conscious yeah. choice. And, and, and in many ways, Emotional sobriety is about getting more conscious like that, isn't it? Well, it, you know, the other piece, yes, it is that. And it's like the, the other thing I realize is it's, it's about something that I'm always talking to couples I work with about is like, if, if you can get your, I tell people, if you can get your defenses down and just leave them down, I don't care for three or four extra sentences to get through before, you, before they pop back up, you're going to get clarification. 
and see that and and the and that that makes the difference between whether or not you're just trying it's a it's it's a debate about perspective no no perception you know it, i what i see is right now what you see is right it's like you're never going to win that because nobody no two people see something the same and and at that point all we're doing is trying we're not trying we're not even necessarily trying to blame other people we're just trying not to be blamed and the only way we know how to do that in that reactive state is by blaming somebody else. You know, politicians do this all the time. It's it's like nobody. But I'll tell you what you're not doing when you're just fighting back and forth about who's to blame is you're not solving a problem. That's right. That's right. Nope. Nope. You're just throwing gasoline on a fire, mm-hmm. you're just exacerbating it. You're making it worse. You know, that's that's so true. I just thought of this one thing that. This idea about perception and stuff like that. There was this joke that Father Martin used to tell about that there was a psychiatrist with with his friend and they were at this cocktail party. And there was this one guy going around, you know, telling everybody he was dead. And the guy really believed it. Mm-hmm. And and the psychiatrist said to his buddy, he says, I'll bet you I can change that guy's mind and prove to him that he's not dead. The guy says, okay, here's a hundred bucks. We'll bet you a hundred bucks. So he goes up to the guy and says, hey, look, you know, I, I'd like to, to invite you to, to do some free work with me. So would you mind showing up in my office tomorrow? Some free therapy. And the guy says, oh, that'd be great. So the guy comes to his office. He says, look, this is going to be a real quick treatment. He says, what I want you to do is I want you at, at first when you get up out of bed at lunchtime and before you go to bed at night, I want you to say to yourself 10 times, dead men don't bleed. Are you willing to do that? Guy says, yeah, of course I am. So he said, come back in a week after you've done this every day. Guy comes back in a week later and says, well, he says, did you do it? He says, doc, 30 times a day, just what like you told me. Got up, looked in the mirror and said, dead men do not believe it. Lunchtime I did it, looking in the mirror and right before I went to bed. He says, great, now come on over here. Guy comes over next to the doc, doc, isolates the guy's index finger, takes out a pin. He says, this isn't going to hurt much. He says, I'm just going to prick your finger real quick. And he pricks his finger and he presses on it. And, and there's a bead of blood that now surfaces, emerges right on the guy's finger. The guy looks at his finger, looks at the dock, looks back at his finger, looks at the dock. He goes, Doc, dead men do bleed. That's <laughs> 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 uh, uh, the the mind of an addict how, how quickly we... it's like even when we get evidence sometimes if we're so convinced and we need something to be the way it is and that's what we got to look at that's the other part of this emotional sobriety is being <laughs> to be able to shift our perspectives and realize that dead men do bleed right that kind of a thing so it's it, it was but you know, you you've you've seen Father Martin, and I've seen oh, Father. Oh yeah, I love. Martin. There's Martin. nobody that tells a joke uh-huh. as good as Father Martin. Yeah. So, well, yeah. that's part of it too. That's it, it, before. So before we finish, one of the things I want to say in relation to the your book and what what uh, Patrick was bringing up too, and about uh, and what you said about the uh, Jennifer and Sam. It's it's like part of what makes your st- not just this book but others as well so good is you're a great storyteller. And, and, and it's like, and I, I love the fact that we get to, to teach both theoretically and through stories. 
I, I've been around a lot of people that were great storytellers, and that's mm -hmm. how I learned. I think you're one of well, them. So look, we're, I'm excited. We're going to mm -hmm. stay with Chapter 2 next time, Patrick, okay. as, as, as you suggested. So please, you know, join us and come on back. And I'm going to be heading to, where am I going? You're going to get you. for the best, best. ball in <laughs> Jersey, baby. And I have to apologize. I feel very cruel for eating my sandwich in front of you just now uh, in light of your difficulty. I may never, I may never forgive you for that, Patrick. I never he didn't know. He didn't know. We need to work on this. We we'll, don't know, Patrick. We we'll, didn't know that, Dr. Berger. We're we'll, starving to death. That's, that's, so let me go before I kill one of my kids when I walk. All right, out. you got to do that. All right. All right, you guys i love you and i'll see you guys next week change your life change your myth cultivate your narrative with whomever you're with then with glass in hand and children on one knee bring some stories bring your stories back to me it ain't a crime to be a human Never be ashamed to be yourself Rest assured that whatever you're doing Will entertain me like nobody else So here's to us, my old friends Until it's time to drink the wine and break the bread again With glass in hand and children on me Bring some stories Bring your stories back to me.